Greetings, Learn to Love listeners. There's still time to register for the Heart Center's upcoming eight-week compassion cultivation training starting April 19th. This incredible course combines traditional contemplative practices with contemporary psychology and scientific research to help you lead a more compassionate life. Classes meet for two hours once a week online, which means you can join us no matter where you are in the world. And you will also receive numerous resources and daily meditations to practice on your own. We hope you can join us starting April 19th and finishing on June 14th from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific Time. That's 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can join us no matter where you are in the world. To sign up, just go to theheartcenter.com and click on the link for the live online compassion cultivation training. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible marriage and family therapist and dating and relationship coach, Valerie DeLugo. Hello, Valerie, and welcome to the show. Hi, Zach. Thanks for having me. Today, we're going to be talking about getting out of the single rut. And for those that don't know, Valerie DeLogo is a marriage and family therapist and a dating relationship coach. She is passionate about helping people love and be loved. She helps women date successfully and helps couples learn practical and actionable relationship skills so that their relationships flourish. She is the founder of So This Is Love Club an online community which features Valerie's Find Love programs such as Reset Yourself for Love and Mastering the Dating Game. How are you today, Valerie? I'm great. Thank you. So thanks so much for coming on. I'm super excited for today's show and today's topic. And I'm curious a little bit about your own path. You've been a therapist for almost a decade now. And what made you also want to get into coaching and start to offer these coaching programs for people? Yeah, I think the main reason was just reach, uh, to broaden my reach. There is lots of overlap between therapy and coaching, but I think coaching gives me more reach across the country. You know, if you if you said to your partner, let's go to a dating therapist, they, they might, <laughs> you know, they might be like, hold on. But if you're like, well, I'm talking to this dating coach or let's get a coach for our relationship. You're you have a professional coach. Why don't we get a relationship coach? And I think it's appropriate, right? It's not just semantics. I think that my style is sort of kind of like a sports coach, like very encouraging, sort of um, instructional. Like I love that there's so much education, there's so much that we can learn uh, to be better lovers, honestly. And uh, we, most of us just really want to love and be loved. And I love helping people do that better and feel empowered because I think it can be kind of one of those moments of like, 
what do I do? I don't even know how to fix this. So I love that you said that there's so much we can learn because this is, after all, the Learn to Love podcast. <laughs> yes. And I'd love to get into some of the things that we might want to begin to learn, some of the skills that we sure. might want to begin to develop because you even write on your own website that you've distilled the secret sauce of relationship counseling into simple, effective skills that people can use in their own love life. So I want to get into the ingredients in that secret sauce. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, like my grandmother does with her recipes, I'm going to leave out one or two of the secrets. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's true. It wouldn't be a secret anymore. (laughs) 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 We would always tease my grandmother. She'd say, well, what would you need me for if you have my recipe? Uh, No, I'm teasing. Yes, so I... I, I, I phrased it that way because, you know, the data shows that people wait six years to go to relationship, uh, to go to couples counseling. That's six a long years time. From like when the first problem happens. Yeah. And by that time, you know, we can use any analogy, you know, all of our uh, electronic cords. If you think of that one box you have with all the cords, things can get really tangled up, right? Or you think of buildup. Like if you haven't, I just found out my furnace filter. I was supposed to be changing that filter. Who knew? <laughs> all that buildup, right, was causing all these issues, uh, air quality issues. You know, things build up, things get tangled, resentments. And sometimes, you know, a good question I ask in the room sometimes is like, is it too late? Like, has, have you gone to the point where you've shut yourself off and, and you're just not willing to work on this anymore? So we want to try to fix things sooner, <laughs> untangle them sooner. Right. And so the ingredients of relationship counseling is all the skills that honestly, if you can put those into practice before we're not going to get all these jumbled knots. Or when you start to get into a knot, when you start to have disagreements or uh, roadblocks in your relationship, you need those skills anyway. Anything that comes up, you need these basic skills to be able to figure out your specific <laughs> relationship dance, relationship uh, ecosystem. You need those skills. And so that that's sort of my mission is, is that these skills are doable. You're going to be good at them. I promise. Um, and honestly, you know, I joke, I joke, I joke on my website that my, uh, me going to grad school and getting my master's in psychology saved my relationship because I, I mean, I was just sitting there going, Oh, that's why he does that. Oh, that's why I do that when he does that. Like, Oh, okay. Now understanding more about him. Now I get why he does that. The meaning I was making of it was this. And and also, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> my husband doesn't mind me sharing. I'm married to someone that's very, you know, a little bit resistant. And so, you know, he'll tell if I start to just asking him sort of like questions about his emotions, he's like, stop reading my mind. Are you trying to, you know, are you trying to read my mind? So I think that, you know, I, I've had to create these bite-sized pieces and I don't think I'm alone in that. So, so I think that can be helpful for lots of people. So it's so interesting because you mentioned that couples tend to wait six years after perhaps some initial symptoms of the problem before entering into counseling. And you mentioned that it's great if they could start implementing the skills they learn in couples therapy before then, like one year one or two <laughs> of the relationship. But mm-hmm. I was thinking, I was like, you know, or in high school, they could have yes. like <laughs> learned yes. these things. So they, they must have cut it out right next to how to do your taxes and, and, and how to change your furnace filter. I, that must have got cut out. So I'll, I'll throw this scenario at you. Like, 
you're a high school. Let's. I don't know if you want to do high school or college, depending on the maturity level of our. You know, sure. but let's just imagine you're in high. You're a high school teacher or a college teacher, and you're put to the task of creating you know, some course like Relationships 101, or you know, guide to not screwing it up. <laughs> <laughs> what are some things you think you might include in that course? Yeah. I mean, I think we just, we can, we can start with the emotional, you can call it emotional intelligence, right? Because the definition of emotional intelligence is being able to look inside yourself, have some self-reflection, connect to what you're going through, what you're thinking and feeling, and being able to communicate that. And also be able to put yourself in the shoes of the other person through empathy, right? Being able to think, hmm, I wonder how that might affect them. And then the third part of emotional intelligence is having the communication skills to manage the conflict and to communicate with the other person. So, I mean, I, let's, let's start there. <laughs> so, I mean, so, so we need some mindfulness so that we can notice, right, our thoughts then we need to learn about validation. That's a real easy, that's a real foundational skill that I think can really help, especially a lot of men, if we're doing some, right, like just in generalizations, um, I don't think we teach men in general, or we don't emphasize those skills as much for them as that is as important. I think, right, we say men, uh, try to fix things, right? Where a lot of times they're female partners. I just want you to listen. So emotions will escalate until they're validated. And that's the paradox. And people are afraid to recognize, like, I see you're upset. <laughs> I can understand why you might be upset. That actually will decrease the intensity of the emotion once it's recognized. We could do that for ourselves, right? Empathy, I statements, right? There may be the, the, the corny first step of any relationship exercise, but it's very valid. It's very, right, to realize where the line is between what I'm responsible for and what you're responsible for. I'm responsible for my actions and reactions and you're responsible for the same. So we can't really make someone feel a certain way. We may know, we may be observing and know what triggers them, but we really can't make someone do that. And uh, so to to um, take responsibility for our own reactions is really powerful. And the more responsibility we have, the less of a victim we can be in that sense, right? Oh, I'm, I don't mean victim like a true victim. I mean helpless, like helplessness. Oh, there's nothing I can do here. I love so that. So I'd start there. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I love that a lot. You know, I almost imagine this on like a bumper sticker or something. Emotions will be elevated until they are validated. Ooh, so good. <laughs> yes. Ooh, we can start some merch. I like that. (laughs) Okay, then I'm good. I'm gonna take it. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like kind of like a a a warning. Uh, Like in the mirror, objects objects are larger than they appear. Right. That that sticker. Yeah. Yeah. Emotions will continue. So I love the the three things that I'm hearing from you. We have awareness of ourselves, which we can cultivate through mindfulness. Empathy with the other, which we can cultivate through validating what we are hearing from them, and then communicating in a way that's nonviolent, non-critical, using I statements. There's the recipe. <laughs> that's <laughs> the basis. The, the that's the mirepoix. That's the like basis of the recipe. Salt, pepper, garlic. We have <laughs> awareness, empathy, communication. Ooh, <laughs> yes. Like, you know that show on Netflix, uh, Salt fat, acid, heat. Exactly. Mm, Those mm -hmm. are the, yeah. And then there's lots of different skills in there that are just really helpful. I mean, just one of them, one option (laughs) is like uh, dreams within conflict that when you're in a relationship, 
a lot of times what you're fighting over there in that conflict is is a dream of each of yours. And and I use even scenarios from my own life where it was like, oh, that's why this is so hard to detangle because we both have dreams that are inside this conflict and that's why it feels so heavy and so big. Tell me more. I haven't heard of, heard of this. So when you say we're having a conflict and what's an example of like the dreams that are there? Well, it's probably easier for me to talk about my own life than try to make up a scenario. That's why I, I use my old stories. But yeah, so we were, my husband and I were talking about starting a family and and he was traveling a lot to to build his business. And then there was this dream that I was going to create my own nuclear family and um, where I feel like there was maybe some disconnection in my own or in my extended family. I was so, my need and my dream was to create this like this big nuclear family and, and just all the like things I wanted to experience inside of that. And that was sort of bumping heads with his desire and his need to self-actualization of, you know, really building his own successful business and being financially stable and feeling like he needed that before we could start a family. So the conflict we were having was, you're not here. How can we ever start a family? <laughs> and it was both of our dreams that were getting locked up in there. That's true. I mean, every relationship is that balance of connection, community, belonging, family with our own path, our own independence. Often, yeah. sometimes our own alone time, different things like that. Yeah. And this is from the, the Gottmans. I, I mean, I always try to give them <laughs> credit when I'm using their their stuff there. You know, actually out of Berkeley, the relationship, you know, a lot of relationship research. And um, so they talk about just trying to get to the core of your dream and what part, what part is the part that you can um, compromise on and, and what is at the core where you shouldn't compromise. They actually talk about where you can over compromise, which is really fascinating. It's true. I mean, often we can give ourselves, you know, too much of ourselves away in relationships. And then it's no funny. one's happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. So you mentioned salt, fat, acid, heat. Yes. And I was like, we might have to talk about that heat part. It brought to mind passion and passion in a relationship. And that is really one of like the million dollar questions. And it's something that comes up a lot in the podcast is how to maintain the passion, the excitement, the desire in long-term relationships and wondering what you have to say about that. Yeah. Well, nothing will kill the mood like fighting. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, if you're so so if you're if it's just not working, you know, if if neither of your desires, you know, are really where you want them to be, I think that's that's a great indicator that possibly one or both of you are just really having needs met, unmet outside of the bedroom. So, I think that's why emo like emotional health, relational health is so important. I think it's really important to know what does turn your partner on, what they what they want, what they need, and and communicate about sex outside of the bedroom, right? When you know, when there's maybe a little bit less vulnerability, like literally and figuratively, right? Having those conversations where you can be gentle, we can have a gentle start uh, where you can talk without um, feeling so exposed or like maybe you're doing something wrong or your partner's not happy. Um, and the other thing, I think just keeping that um, keeping that spark alive um, in playfulness and connection. And you know, one of those small things that I'm talking about is these bids for connection. The Gottman's did a lot of research around. Um, they can actually say they can predict with 95% accuracy within like 
the first few moments of listening to a couple argue or talk about an, a situation, a conflict, they can predict if that couple is going to make it or not, which is which in and of itself is fascinating. Do you feel like you can predict that with the couple that walks into your office? Are you like, hmm, I don't know, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's probably a whole nother. Yeah, we could go down that route. But yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people coming into couples therapy is like the last ditch effort sometimes. Or if or someone has said like, I think it's over. And then the other partner will be like, okay, fine. Like, let's go to counseling, but that might be too late. So I, so definitely, definitely I I can see those, you know, coming. I always say too, is there a spark? Like, is there still passion? Is there still a spark? Is there still something worth it? Was it ever there? And you need that. You need, people are going to change. But is there that spark that we can get back to? So I'd love to ask you more questions about relationships. Yeah. So we'll have to save it sure. though, because yeah, all right, part two, <laughs> because... part two. I know we're supposed to be talking about being single, but because... we're jumping into the relationship right. stuff. And so yeah. today's, but you know your stuff, and I love that, and I appreciate all the things you've sure. already shared. But our topic for today is on getting out of the single rut. And before we get into dating specifically, I just thought I'd ask you about our culture's emphasis on relationships and yeah. being in a relationship. Mm-hmm. We live in a very partnership-oriented culture where one monogamous lifetime partnership is often seen as like the ultimate goal, right? And if yes. you're at the dinner table with your family and you're like, so <laughs> how's it going? Who are you seeing mm-hmm. nowadays? And you're like, no one. And it, it, it could seem like, you know, you're, you're a failure. You failed at life if you haven't found your life, lifelong partner. So that's the narrative. And yes. I'm curious how you feel about this emphasis and this idea. I would really love to see our culture shift to there being a wide variety of ways that we celebrate people, the milestones in their life and their choices on how they want to have love show up in their life. I don't, I would love to see a world that where it isn't like, so we could talk about compulsory monogamy, right? That that's just the default. That's what everyone expects. Compulsory um, heterosexuality, right? All these compulsory, even the the, um, compulsory, compulsory parenting. I'm not sure if that's a real term, but like, let's make it like the, right? We're starting off with the default that everyone should be parents or everyone should want to be parents or everyone should have children. And And then when we reward those things in society, that puts even more pressure for us to have those things or to go after them. There's a real thing called social currency. You have more social currency in many situations if you're in a partnership. I've had clients who said, man, I'm dreading this like, you know, group, this group skiing trip because I'm the only person not partnered. So guess what? I got kicked out of my room and I'm, they're going to expect me to be on a futon or a, or a blow up mattress in the living room because I'm the only one without a partner. Doesn't she deserve, doesn't she deserve a nice bed and a a door that locks just because she's single? Maybe she wants to invite somebody over. I mean, right. So even presidents, right. We like never have a president that's not married maybe back in the day, but you know, and that changed throughout history, right? So we, we put a lot of 
currency on relationships. And I think a lot of people who are stuck, maybe there's something inside of them. It doesn't want compulsory monogamy. It doesn't want compulsory heterosexuality. It doesn't want compulsory, you know, marriage. We talk about the relationship escalator, right? That first you start out dating, then, you know, then you become uh, serious, you know, you become exclusive, then you get engaged, then you get married, right? Then you have kids and you or somewhere you buy a house. And I would love to see us have more freedom to, to, for that not to be the pressure or the compulsion and really make those decisions out of understanding yourself and really wanting those things. Or if you're like, I'm not sure that that's for me, having the freedom to explore those things without judgment or condemnation or losing social currency. Yeah, it's so interesting because we did recently have a guest come onto the show to talk about folks, particularly women, who really just came out as lesbian very late in their life. We're talking 40s, 50s, 60s. And one of the things that came up was this idea of compulsory heterosexuality, where we have so many outside forces telling us to be a certain way. We often aren't even in touch or aware of the authenticity inside of us that tells us to live life differently. So I'm curious too, if you have perspectives on how that cultural pressure leads us to leading lives that are in line with our truth and what are some of the consequences of that? Yeah. In my work with single women, that's one part of my framework is that we really look at all these compulsory pressures that are on us. What is society telling us? What are the shoulds that you really feel forced, right? That are really pressuring your game <laughs> <laughs> and, and really looking at what do I want? What am I interested in? Is that really what I want? Or is it what my religion, my culture, my, my, my society has, has told me I want? I have a lot of single clients that are like, you know, I'm in a position to buy a house now, but I'm stopping myself because I was supposed to do that with a partner. There's a lot of women. I know this is sort of part of what you want to cover today. There's a lot of, I know women who feel like their life hasn't started until they're chosen. And there's so much pressure put on your worth or your value. Yeah. Uh, predicated upon someone choosing you. And you having your your relationship status, honestly, right? But there's so much richness to life that is beyond your romantic partner. It's true. And I would say there's probably more pressure on women to be a certain way. And, you know, we've there's been extraordinary developments in the past few decades, but there's still pressure to, you know, to be the stay-at-home mom, to be the caregiver, to be the one that potentially sacrifices their career. And I do feel like there is more of a social stigma around single women than there are single men. Right. Like, you know, if you're not married, it's you're you're the spinster, the old maid, or really what's wrong with you when if it's a guy, it's like, oh, he's a playboy, <laughs> you know, look at him living that bachelor life. Right. And I know that 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 we all of any gender get pressure on things. And I think that in dating, one of the th- the problems I see is that there are I think there are men who don't want to get on that relationship escalator yet, but they feel the need to talk up that game to engage women. But maybe what they want is, is, is a, is a, you know, a, a, a casual relationship, a casual sex relationship, a casual fun relationship. I think more women maybe want that as well, but 
don't feel the freedom to say that. And so where some of this dating, the ruts and the confusion come in is nobody's really being, nobody's really in tune or being honest about what they really want. And if we could all just do that, I mean, I've told clients, can can we just ask him, is this Netflix and chill? Like, are you just asking me over because you want sex? And then I can ask myself, do I want to ha- go have sex with him tonight? Or did I really want someone to talk to, <laughs> you know, and, and be okay with that? Well, you mentioned this rut, right? And I think many people probably feel themselves to be in some kind of rut. Even when I talk to folks in the dating dating world, they tend to become disillusioned after a number of unsuccessful dates, right? And they sure. come to two possible conclusions. One, there's something wrong with everyone else. You know, there's no good guys <laughs> out there. There's no right. good girls out there. Um, and it's always like, oh yeah, dating in your 40s, that's the worst. Or dating in this period of time, it's always the worst one. <laughs> but then another another conclusion, oh, there's something wrong with me, right? Is, you know, people... No one's inviting me back for a second or third date or something. So what does what is wrong with me? So what's your advice for someone who does feel like they're in a rut? First, I want to say, good job. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> okay. Keep it up. <laughs> Most people, I think there's a small portion. I want to be real with people, right? There maybe is a small portion of people. There's a reason why you're not getting asked out on second dates. And maybe you need a dating relationship coach. Maybe your friends or family would tell you. There's a small portion. I think the other portion is that you just haven't found, right? You haven't found your match yet. So I think that that's, that's it. I just want to say that. I just, <laughs> I just want to get that out there. Um, also, I think the way dating, I don't know if there is a perfect way because I don't know that we want matchmakers, but the dating apps is a very unnatural way to meet someone. You're basically, right, your brain is getting this great dopamine hit, right? Ooh, I have a new match or ooh, let's go look through this catalog of seemingly unending people, but you're knowing nothing about them. It's very superficial uh, based on looks, which are important, but that isn't, right? You're looking at one or two pictures, which also we know, <laughs> you know, it doesn't even give you the full picture of a person. And that you would never, I, I tell people, this is the advice I give. I say, how many guys would you want to meet in a night? Even on speed dating, what's, what's the maximum amount of people that you think that you could handle meeting in a night? And then, then, then use self-control, exercise that muscle and only look at that many profiles per day and really look at them. Stop. Look at all the pictures, read some of the bio. And, and if it really is about hooking up, then that's about hooking up. But if you are looking, if you are looking for a long-term relationship or like, you know, a partnership, um, read their bio, see, think about it. Imagine yourself with this person text that, you know, send a message, but slow this whole pace down. But I want to validate that this is a very unnatural way to meet people. So I'm curious what the range is when you ask people that, like if you could meet so many potential partners in a night, what do we have? Like three to 10 maybe? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That sounds like, yeah, that sounds like a good number. Exactly. And we're getting dopamine from the from you know your brain, all the feel good hormone hormones, right? You get the dopamine, but you're not getting oxytocin, which is what we get when we're around people, hugs, you know, talking to friends, sex. So it's it's a very different experience. I also want to say that uh, about the rut. 
I think another reason, the biggest reason why people get in a rut is they aren't fully aware of what they want. They're not right there. They even really haven't said, okay, what do I really want? Do I really want, you know, to find a partner? Uh, or am I doing that because that's what I think I need to do? That's one rut. And, or they don't feel like they have the skills to reject something or get out of something when it's not what they want. Those are the two main ruts I see. They're not really dialed into what it really is they want or need or and or they've they've started into something and they are not able to stop it when they realize this is not what I want. And then they spend a lot of time in something that's either a pseudo relationship or something that's really not what they what they need or want. Yeah, I love that because it, it was getting into my next question when, when you were talking about the rut, when you were talking about slowing down, when you were talking about how dating apps are very unnatural. And I think very few people like the dating app. It's often just a means <laughs> to an end. And I was wondering, okay, so how can we date better, right? How can we date smarter? And one of the things yep. I'm hearing from you is be clear about what it is that you want. And what are some other ways that we can date smarter? One of my missions is to make direct communication sexy again. I'm not sure if it ever was sexy. (laughs) 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 But but direct communication is basically taking, you know, being being direct in in a in a kind or fun way. It doesn't have to be, you know, harsh or overbearing. But honestly, it's just the simple act of asking what for what you want and Mm. putting it out there. And that actually has become quite hard for a lot of people. So somebody you're kind of, you know, just talking to, maybe they're sort of breadcrumbing you every couple of days, they'll send something, but you you feel like maybe there's something here. Putting out the direct communication of, hey, can we meet up? Or somebody that you're not really sure, you want to define the relationship. It's been a while. And, you know, you you need that for yourself. You're, I ask people, how long can you wait? Okay, you're just having fun. Sometimes you don't need to just second date. Okay, well, you know, let's define this. Or, is this serious? No, let it, let it breathe a little bit. How long can you wait? And then maybe asking like, do you see this going further? What are we? Are we, are we doing this? And I think one of the biggest obstacles to asking the direct communication is what I like to call the bubble of hope. It's a beautiful place that we can live in (laughs) where, right? There's Uh still hope. It's a beautiful place because there's still hope. There's still fantasy. There's still, hey, this could be the one. Or maybe he really does. Maybe it's just X, Y, Z. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And so this beautiful bubble of hope and and um, opportunity and potential, a beautiful bubble of potential. We don't like to pop that, right? Because sometimes it just feels better. It's scarier for that bubble to be popped and like, nope, this is not it. So direct communication is great because it's either you you you're asking, you're being assertive, which is a really important skill. It gets a bad rap, but assertiveness is just knowing what you need and asking for it, having the skill in how to ask for it where your needs are going to be met. And so you're either going to get your needs met or you're going to get the answer that this isn't for you and you can move on. And that's how you get out of a rut. So it's so interesting because when you first said to use more direct communication, I was thinking sometimes you go on a first date within a few minutes of meeting someone, you know, in the back of your mind, okay, this isn't going to work. And I have heard some people recommend like, it's okay. You can be like, it was nice meeting you, but I don't see this going anywhere. 
and you know ending after five minutes. <laughs> but um, <laughs> before, I'm curious what your opinion is of that situation. But I'd love to get more into this direct communication because I'm also hearing how important it is to get direct communication from your partner. So when you're like, ask, you know, where do you see this going? Right? Are we a thing? Or is this just, you know, casual and you're kind of keeping me along? So would you also say that like part of direct communication is opening up that kind of dialogue? Yeah, 100% opening up that dialogue. And Again, I think we, that's what therapy is for is, okay, he can't give you... Sometimes no answer is the answer. Sometimes I don't know, I'm not sure is an answer. And then what people don't say, what people, right? I There was something going around. I don't, can we swear on this podcast? I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you can. Or you, sure. wanna, you can bleep it out. You can bleep it out if you want. <laughs> but there was... Um, <laughs> Somebody, I, I I don't know the author, but somebody wrote, you know, a piece about it needs to be fuck yes or fuck no. That's my new thing. Fuck yes or fuck no. And obviously I love nuance. Like that's not for everything. But if, but if someone's, especially in the beginning, if someone's not giving you an enthusiastic yes, you want someone that's into you. You want to, you deserve that. So you're, you're you agree with this sentiment. You deserve that. <laughs> Yes. So what I would do, man, that'd be harsh if I was with someone on a date for five minutes and they're like, you know what? This isn't going to work out. Oh, that'd be hard. I mean, I would respect the time management, but that would be hard. But what I suggest is, look, if you know what you're looking for, if you really thought about what kind of person do I want to be with? What kind of how do I want to feel? Some people, I, we have friends that they're very peaceful. The whole couple, they're very peaceful, very calm very sort of like measured and, you know, you might see them reading a book by the fire at night, right? If that's, if that's what you want, then you're looking for someone that might fit into that, right? If you, if you can, if you know what you're looking for, then it's got to be a yes or no. And it's okay. I also like to tell people like, if, I don't know if you've, you've shopped for like clothes or furniture for your apartment, right? If you go to Wayfair or wherever and you just put in furniture, <laughs> you're going to sit there and sift through hundreds of thousands of posts right? But if you're looking for a lamp or bedside tables, you're only going to have a hundred thousand, right? We're only looking for one. And I think people are afraid to, to eliminate, but it's very, that's how you date smarter, not harder. You eliminate and be okay with that. Oh, look, now the number went down to this many, right? (laughs) I want somebody with a job, you know? Okay. The number went down. I want someone who has a high EQ. All right. The number went down, but you're getting to a place where you're dating smarter, not harder, and you're not wasting time with people who you don't want in the end. And so once you have that vision, then I'd say, I actually told this to my own husband. <laughs> we met online and he's like, let's, uh, let's go out. I said, oh, wait a minute. No, no, there's a process. <laughs> I said, we need, to, we need to talk on the phone first. I don't want to meet you for coffee, right? This was before, this was be, it was still online dating, but we didn't have like FaceTime or anything yet. So I said, no, we need to have a phone call first and then let's see. And so we did. And, you know, he was charming and I was like, oh, I kind of like this. And so then, yes, let's go out and date. So I'd say, I'd say do, do like a FaceTime, a phone call. And then, and then if that feels good, go on a date, short date if you want to, you know. So I'd love to, 
ask you more about this idea of gaining that self-knowledge and figuring out what we want and being direct in our communication in order to get it. Because I feel like probably most people dating, they want what we said before, the compulsory, as compulsory as it might be. They want like, <laughs> I'm searching mm-hmm. for my life partner, sure. right? Now, there are some people who want casual yep. sex and that they can more than welcome express that. But I feel like most people in the dating route aren't able to find their partner. And when I hear you like being clear about what you want, I'm imagining like two ends of the spectrum. On the one hand, we have somebody who's just, they're just lonely. And they're like, could I just have like a warm body that's not a psychopath? (laughs) Just, you know, anything. Because, you know, they haven't had that, you know, oxytocin like in a while. But then I almost imagine the other side of the spectrum who is, you know, somebody who's like, you know, they need to be this tall, they need to make this much money. They need to let me be the house husband or housewife who just sits around. I don't want to work, right? They, they need to be kind, generous, yeah. handsome. I want to travel, but down to earth. A free spirit, but 100% loyal to me. And then we have like, you know, the whole list, <laughs> list of things. And sure. So when you say like, what is it that we are getting clear about what we want and what else is just like, might not want to be in the table? So there's there's a Latin phrase which I forget, but there's a Latin phrase. Um, maybe it's no, maybe it is quid pro quo. Yeah, that basically most people who partner up or or sort of like or we stay in relationships that we're giving, we're getting kind of as much as we're getting. This quid pro quo, right? That we kind of attract partners that are sort of our equals in some ways. I, I guess for someone, okay, if you if your friends are telling you that. You know, if you if you're getting some feedback that maybe your your list, the expectations are not realistic, then for you, I'd say let's focus on what you're bringing to the table. List what you're bringing to the table, and I think the expectations. I I just wonder for that person on that end of the the spectrum. I wonder if the burden you're putting on your future romantic partner to make you happy and fulfill all these different needs is quite high and could crush anyone that would try to fill them. That's one thing that I think when we, when our society has put such an emphasis on romantic love, I, one of the most gratifying and rewarding parts of my work with young women is when they're like, um, is this love? That's actually where the name of my business came from because I, I, I want to break down the Hollywood stereotypes or the, the image, the expectation, the standards of what love is. And we should know this, right? We know that. We know that it's all fake. We know that it's scripted. We know that like our brains are going to watch entertainment because it's going to make us feel good. And they're stopping right at the pinnacle. If, if, if we all had a movie made about our love stories and we stopped at the wedding day, like, yes, they'd all feel good. But I feel like it's part of my, it's part of my job I think to to break down those and start to tell the truth about relationships. I don't get all my emotional needs met by my husband. I don't get all of my relational needs met by my husband. And I love I love to help women see like what is what is realistic to expect and what isn't. And I think we just need to put a pin and and shrink back down to size what are what are romantic relationships, what what place they are in our lives, because I think that that's a part of the problem. And so that's why I named my business. So this is love. Sometimes it's 
with like an exclamation point, like, ah, so this is love. Like, this is what I've been looking for. And I'll tell you, it feels amazing to be well-loved to be cherished. And I think we're all looking for someone else to know us with all of our quirks, with, with every part of us and just say, I'm, I'm in it. I'm here for you. I'm down for it. Um, I see you as you are and I cherish you and I'm not trying to change you. So those are those moments. And then sometimes it's, so this is love. <laughs> this is what I signed up for. This is what I, I mean, I, I have a list of things that I never thought I'd have to say to my husband. And, you know, so I think that's part of it. On the other end of the spectrum, I think for somebody who's just lonely, I would say, what are the exact needs that you need? There's, there's different ways to get those needs met and maybe saying, yeah, I'm looking for a long-term relationship. Maybe that's not the immediate need you're looking for, but at the end of the day, relationships are a lot of work. It feels amazing to be loved and it is also a lot of work. So to be in it with someone that you're not a fuck yes in the beginning, because it's going to get harder from there out. And I think as all things, cheese, wine, <laughs> they age well, right? They get richer and, and, and more valuable, but it is a lot of work. And so if you're not a fuck yes in the beginning, I, I think it's, it, it's going to be hard. I love that. I love your emphasis on focusing on what we as an individual are bringing to the table of a relationship rather than put so much burden on the other. Because yeah. part of that Hollywood expectation, part of the fairy tale love story tells us that our primary task in dating is to find the right person, right? And so many people are focused on finding the right person rather than being the right person. And it's tied into this idea that if you find the right person, you will magically be in a perfect relationship. But of course, no such thing as a perfect relationship. No such thing as a perfect person. If you did meet a perfect right. person, they probably wouldn't want to be with you because. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Speak the truth, Zach. <laughs> That's right. I tell people you're going to have a set of problems with anyone you're with. So, what set of problems are you okay with? Are you okay with this set of issues? So I feel like this discussion perfectly leads into my last and final question that I love to ask all of my guests, which is, what do you wish everyone knew about love? And I wrote down a few different answers, bah, but I feel like I want to just say one. <laughs> <laughs> I wish everyone would realize that finding your romantic partner will not solve how you feel about yourself fully. It's not the answer to all your problems. It, it will be, again, it will be amazing if it's the right kind of love, but it will also bring you a whole other host of problems. <laughs> That's just real. I mean, I, I guess I want to be real with people I, and I want there to be the both and that I just said, the both and of romantic, romantic love is amazing. And also it's not everything. Cherish the love that you get from friendships. Let's make platonic friendships more important in our lives, community, family, who are all the people, who are all the people that love you? Who are the people that love to have you around? Who are the people that cheerlead you, that make make space for you? Those are the people that love you and care about you. And that is part of creating a rich life. I love that. Romantic love is amazing, but it's not everything. And I appreciate you making direct communication sexy. 
<laughs> let's do it let's do it <laughs> so Valerie DeLugo ladies and yes. gentlemen thank you so much for coming on to the show and for our listeners thanks for who having want to me Zach. learn more about you how can they find you they can find me at so this is love.club and on Instagram at so this is love.club I'd love to share just a little bit about the program that I've, I've, I answer so many of these questions uh, and more help people apply this to their life in my program, Reset Yourself for Love. And we're looking at reconnecting with ourselves and that a single life can be amazing. What kind of rich, faceted, multifaceted life can you create while you're on your journey of looking for love and how, how to know when you found that, how to prepare for it? So just for clarification, is this an online do-it-yourself program or is this something you do concurrently like live with people? Yeah, sure. Uh, Yep, it is a a live group coaching course. So with the support of other people that are looking for love, uh, with one-on-one support from me, and then with the group sessions and homework in between. So I I had so many clients that said, that's it. I need to take a break from love. Uh, I need to focus on myself. And I was like, well, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) What what would be helpful for that person to go through while they're... You don't have to take a break from dating on this course. But I think that if your intuition is saying like, hey, I think I need to spend a little time with myself, then, then let's honor that and let's spend some time really looking at who you are, what you want, what you even bring, right? Some of us haven't even looked at our own um, value. What do you, to show up to a date differently, like, like I'm a great catch. Like you'd be, right? You'd be lucky to have me and uh, maybe I feel the same about you. We'll see. And making that vision of love. Wonderful. Well, I wholeheartedly encourage our listeners to check you out and check out your wonderful programs. And thank you so much for coming on. And thank you listeners for coming on. We hope you remember all the valuable lessons from today, not just about dating, but also about relationships, including the importance of self-awareness, which you can cultivate through mindfulness, empathy, which you can cultivate through validation, and powerful communication skills like using I statements. Also remember, emotions will be elevated until they are validated. That nothing will kill the mood like conflict. So playfulness and connection are so important. And when it comes to dating, it's important to be assertive, know what you need, know what you want, and ask for it. And don't forget that romantic love is amazing, but not everything. There are many loving relationships which we can cultivate in our life. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Valerie. Thank you, Zach. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to zachbeach.com or theheartcenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 